You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. It is good to be back once again. <laughs> uh, I'm going to need your prayers uh, this morning. Uh, man, it's just uh, it's a simple prayer, uh, man, that God would just get the glory and that I would stay out the way. Uh, that's just been a, a, a prayer of mine here of late, and, and that simple prayer is wrecking me. Because it's in every area, just not on stage. It's in life, at home, with friends, with family, even with my foes. I, I, I simply want God to get the glory. The people know little about me and much about him. Uh, That's my prayer this morning, so let me pray that with my eyes closed. And then I'll start. How's that? Amen. There we go. Amen? All right, all right, all right. There we go. There we go, Stonegate. There we go. I love that. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you Indeed, we count it a blessing, privileged together, together and to God and to worship and to praise and to ascribe to you all that's due your name. And so, Father, would you now please be glorified. Will you please edify your sons and your daughters? We pray that you will do this in a huge way. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So we're in the book of Ezekiel this, this morning. Uh, uh, go Go ahead and turn to Ezekiel uh, uh, chapter 1 so I can just give you a little background uh, of this book. We're going to read probably the first three, uh, three verses. Give you just a, a, a backdrop uh, and an understanding of what uh, uh, God is doing through the prophet Ezekiel. Have you ever asked the question, God, where are you? God, I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to do those things, God, that I know, God, that would God that would hopefully press me into you. And Father, I I just cannot sense you. That's kind of the history when you look at this book. Uh, and one statement is summed up in Ezekiel 37, verse 11, where they had believed that God had cut them off. And what they forgot in this book was that it was their sins that had placed them where, where they are in today's text. It was their own doing. It was them turning to 
idolatry. It was them turning to idols. It was them forsaking the true God for other gods and questioning God, where are you? And so God has to, God has to raise up a prophet to tell them what's happening. When you get up to the book of Ezekiel, uh, uh, we're in the second siege of Judah or of Jerusalem. And, and the first siege in 605, that's when King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he raids and he sieges Jerusalem and he takes with him Daniel and the boys. Daniel is 15 at this time. Ezekiel is 18. And Ezekiel been 18. He stays. They take Daniel in, in the boys. And at this time, King Jehoiakim, he's ruling. He joins forces with them. And he decides to leave them. And so in uh, 597 B.C., he dies. King Jehoiakim, he, he takes rule then. At this time, when, king, when the king sees it, he takes Ezekiel and 10,000 of Jerusalem's finest men with him, leaving them there to fend for themselves. So when you read Ezekiel chapter 1, that's the background, is that God is using Babylon to discipline his kids or his people. So when you read verse 1 of, of this book, it says, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kabar or Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. But the word, uh, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, then the priest, the son of Buzi, in or Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kibar Canal in the, in the hand of the Lord was, on, was upon him there. We see a few things that, that give us insight to today's sermon. He's 30 years old. He's serving as priest at this time. But what God needs now is to raise up a prophet outside of De uh, uh, Jeremiah, who's been the only prophet at the time, uh, 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 correcting the false prophets from the first siege. He raises up now Ezekiel in the second siege, and now he moves him from priest to prophet. Now, if you understand that huge, that, that by itself is huge because Ezekiel wanted to be priest. He wanted to teach the law. No, he wanted to be made known in Jerusalem. So him being priest was the ideal job description. But God moves him from priest to prophet. And no one like the prophet, because all they do is tell them of their wrongdoings. And so God, he switches 
the occupation of Ezekiel ministry. I mean, I just turned 30. It's the year for me to be preached and to be, and to be made known. God said, eh, eh. Job change. I'm moving you from priest to prophet because my people need to hear a word from me. So he's 30 years old. He's, he, he was chilling. Now he's going to be this, this known prophet, man, to, to straighten out what the bad prophets have messed up. But, man, I love this last phrase of that line in verse 3. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Now, understand this. And the Kibar Canal, they are some 500 miles away from Jerusalem, where they knew that in the temple at Jerusalem, God, he showed up, he showed his glory, and there they went to seek the presence and the glory of God. God moves them from that over now to the Kabbalah Canal in Babylon. And now they're wondering, God, when are we going to see you again? Well, we went to see you. We've been displaced from there. And God, in his grace and mercy, shows up in their exile. Their doings got them there. But God is so gracious and merciful that while he's allowed them to go into exile, he's now going to draw them in exile. So he decides to reveal himself to the prophet Ezekiel. Now, when you read chapter 1, all the, the ox, the servant, the bull, the human, I'm like, God, what is this? I don't know. But here's the point. He's revealing to Ezekiel. He's going. He's the coming judge. And he's coming to judge. You see it in Ezekiel from chapters 1 to 24. He's, he's going to judge the Jews from chapter 25 through 32. He's, he's going to judge the nations that he used to discipline the Jews. And then in chapters 33 through 48, he's going to restore his kingdom. Amen. There's gloom and there's glory. And God is the author and the sticks. He's, he's sovereign enough to pronounce doom and his sovereignness to pronounce glory because he's God in control of both. And so in disciplining his people, it's perfect discipline. And yet, they're discouraged. But let me give you just, just that last line of Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 28, it says this, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around, such was the appearance of the likeness, here it is, of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, when I, Ezekiel, saw the glory of the Lord, Here's in, when God decided to reveal himself to Ezekiel in the midst of 
exile, Ezekiel's first response was to fall flat on his face. And I heard the voice of the Lord speaking. There's a particular trend in the Old Testament that when God decides to reveal himself to certain individuals, they don't stand with their hands in their pockets. They don't fall their arms like, God, I knew this. They don't sit down on God when God, that when the Lord, when the God or Lord of glory decides to reveal himself, the response of the person is to fall flat on their face and to worship. Which caused me to ask you, as God reveals himself to you through song, through preaching, through his presence, when was the last time you worshiped? When was the last time you fell flat on your face saying, God, thank you for revealing yourself to me? There's this thing going around that, 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 that I stand in the back, I stand on the side, and, when I, and then when I hear songs sang, and when I hear sermons preached, it's like Stonegate, you deserve to hear that. There's no, that, not all of you, some of y'all got it going on. But some of y'all, when, when we are ascribing to God what God deserves, you think you deserve that. I mean, what do you think you're going to do when God comes back and he judges and, and, and we see God in his glory? What do you think that we're going to do? Sit down? No. I hope not. You stand for the cowboys and they sorry. You stand for the rangers and they sorry. But you refuse to stand for a God who is transcendent. A God who is all powerful. A God who is great, glorious, and good. You sit on the same God that's been so good to you. I don't know about you, but I'm getting my practice on right now. God, when, they, when, I, when I sense that you are there, I'm going to raise my hands. Because God, you deserve at least that. If it wasn't that stronger, it wasn't where I'd probably run around. But I know where I am. So I sit there, hands raised, giving God glory. But sometimes, man, when I heard over the past years that I'm his father, I wanted to express it. But I couldn't. Afraid of being talked about. But the fact that I'm his son and he's my father, that does something to me. I'm getting my worship on. Because he deserves it. Now that's the backdrop. I, I'm done. No tears. And I'm going back. And I'm not even sweating yet. Amen. So God, he reveals himself to Ezekiel. And what he does in his revelation or his or him revealing himself to Ezekiel, he gives him a mission. So here it is. He reveals himself, now he gives him a mission. The same thing happening 
happened to Jeremiah, uh, 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 to Isaiah. He saw him and he got the work. Same thing with Moses. It's a, it's, 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 it's a pattern that we see in the Old Testament that when we see God, when we, when we are, when God reveals himself to us, there's a want and will to work for him, to serve him, to go for him because he's God. And God, I'm ready to do something for you. So he gives him this mission. Now check out the mission. God tripping with the mission. Look at Ezekiel verse 2. I mean, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. I like, God, you, Ezekiel, you are better than me, homeboy. You, God, you, are, you are good, Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel 2, 1, it says this. And he said to me, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Children. Don't miss this phrase. It's used over 93 times in the Bible. Son of man. So, here it is. God reveals himself and he reminds Ezekiel who is, you are the son of Adam. You're frail and you're weak. You are son of the dust. The psalmist says this, and the Lord, he knows our frame, that we are nothing but dust. I was, I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, went home and got a shower. Got me a whole big thing of dove soap. Got me a good towel. I scrubbed, I scrubbed. One area. Five minutes, scrubbed, scrubbed. So I got out, got me uh, some cotton with some old alcohol. Put the alcohol on the cotton, got the cotton, I rubbed myself. What did I see? Dirt. Just a simple reminder of who I am. And for, and for some odd, strange reason, we let stuff change who we think we are. That, that because I got a nice job or I got a nice car or I, or I have some, some degrees after my name that I'm more than just, than just dust. Can I tell you that in the presence of God, you're nothing but dust, son of man. You're frail and you're weak in my presence. And you need me. I don't need you. Who's the problem? The Bible says that knowledge, it puffs up. So I, here we are. I got me a good job. Got a wife and kids. Got living in a nice neighborhood. Drive a nice car. I'm doing good. And we think that stuff made us. But when you put it beside God, it's nothing. It's his stuff. And whenever you get in God's presence often, he reminds you real fast, you're dust. Trust that must trust me to do anything I've called you to do. And I see a lot of dust trying to be more than just dust. And you can't pay it. Because when you die, you go back to dust. Son of man, son of Adam, 90 something times in Ezekiel. Only one time somewhere else in the whole Old Testament. Son of man. 
son of dust, daughter of dust. Look how much you have. You're going to need God to do what God's called you to do. I promise you that. Because watch this. Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me. There it is. That's God said, you're dust, but I'm going to give you my spirit to do my work for me. You can't do this on your own. Can I give you a quick reminder? There's nothing that you can do that God has called you to do that, 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 that you can do on your own. You can't be a good husband without God. You can't love your spouse without God. You can't love your kids without God. There's nothing you can do without God. But something has changed. I'll tell you in a minute. Hold it, hold it. Hold on, And the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me. To this very day, the descendants also are imputed and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Now, you just told him they won't listen, but yet you still send them. That's just God for you, amen? Saying, don't, I don't need you to look at the faces or to know that they won't listen. Just know I'm sending you. You got a lot of saints who want to see some change because you said it. Or you did it. You, you just dust. If God does not do it, it will not be done. He's sending us to rebellious and lost and stiff-necked folk to preach the gospel to. And you think you are going to change them? Please, it's not happening. He's not done. I love God. God's crazy. God is good, but he's kind of, no, amen, let's go. It says in verse 5, And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid, nor be afraid of the words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid for the words of the words, nor be dismayed at the looks, for they are a rebellious house. Verse 17 of chapter 3 says this, in short, son of man, I have made you a watchman. So here's Ezekiel. Son of Adam, son of dust, son of man, son of mankind. I've made you a watchman. And you're going to need my spirit to do it in a way where you don't get discouraged. Now, he gives, now we've, we've seen Ezekiel the man, we've seen him in his mission, but boy, look what God, now let's, Let's, let's look at his message. Ezekiel chapter 3, now we're there. And he said to me, what again? Son of man. He's reminding him over and over. You're going to need me. You're going to need me. Ezekiel, don't try this without me. And he says, eat whatever you find here. Eat the 
the, this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me his scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I might give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was my mouth and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. <laughs> kind of remind you of the message we hear today. This gospel is sweet in our mouth. And he told Ezekiel, I want you to eat all you can, get full of the scroll of this word, which is God's will. Because you're going to need this when I send you. I went to the new Golden Corral <laughs> on I-20 in Matlock. <laughs> and boy, when I tell you it was buffet style. I got me some fish, had me some steak, some shrimp. I was just doing my thing. Got me some ice cream, had some cheesecake. Nana, then I had me some soda and some tea, man. I was just full to the brim. I passed by being full. McDonald's didn't want it. Passed by Sonics didn't want it. Passed by my favorite store, Chick-fil-A, didn't want it. Why? I was full. There are some things that we are giving in to because if the truth be told, we're not full on Jesus. In John chapter 4 with the woman as the word, he, he, he tells this woman after trying five men and, and second with one, that if you thirst of me, you will never thirst again. If you, if, you, if, you, if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. Yeah, I, I've, I've come to notice that the gospel is robust. And there's a nice buffet in front of us. When you talk about the doctrine of election, the, the, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of reconciliation, the doctrine of propitiation, the gospel of predestination, the, the gospel, uh, the, the, the doctrine of glorification, all of these teachings, all this, this huge buffet, and we leave starving for something else. Why? When the gospel is so satisfying, it's so sad. Man, I mean, man, I, I sit at my house, you know, listen, 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 listen. I don't leave till I'm full. I don't leave until God has filled me such that I fulfill the mission when I leave. But here's what's happened with the gospel. We use it for other means than for, for changing us and saving others. The gospel is robust. And if you partake of the gospel of Jesus, I promise you, he will satisfy your soul. 
I promise you, you'll pass by stuff. Eh, no, eh, no, why? Because you're full on Jesus. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I ask, when was the last time that Christ satisfied you as so? That, that Satan tried, nope, tried, nope, tried, nope, tried. He tried to tempt you and you kept saying no. Why? You were satisfied with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He satisfies. He satisfies. He satisfies. I promise you does. Just partake of them. Just partake and watch and see if he doesn't satisfy. I got Ezekiel the man. I got Ezekiel in his mission. I got Ezekiel in his message. Let's look at Ezekiel in his mess. This is the part that tripped me out. In verses 18 through 21, there are four different scenarios that God presents Ezekiel with his word. Verse 18 gives us the first scenario. And this one says this, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely Die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for or in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at his hand. Just some short, then move on. Did you not know that we'll be accountable for the gospel? message that we know and that because God has deposited in you this message he's going to hold you accountable to whom you do or whom you do not share it with and, and, and here's what I know about God he puts us in the midst of wicked folk on purpose Amen. I'm like God why why her? Why him? Why them? God move me somewhere Son, they need to hear the gospel I've placed you in their life so you can warn them of the king to come. But see, if you tell them of the gospel, sir, I promise you this, that he's able to save. But they need to be warned of the king, of the king to come. And y'all, Christ is coming back as king and not as savior. The judge is coming back. So with this gospel that God has given you to be good stewards over, who are you sharing it with? You sit among lost folk and you won't even open your mouth at all. He's going to hold you accountable. I promise you he is. I mean, when you're full, my wife, bless her soul, I was looking for a job back in the days. And she said, D, I said, yeah, if you get hired on anyone, they're going to fire you. I said, why? Because you can't stop talking about Jesus. They have rules and laws now. I don't care. They need to know Jesus. Amen. They, they need to know. I said, D, you wouldn't last two weeks on a the job. They'll fire you so quick. I said, what? I'll be fired for his name's sake. Now, I'm not asking you to go, to go out and get fired. 
But, but I'm asking you that as God leads you and prompts you in wisdom, through grace, share it to lost folk. Because if you don't, he's going to require it from you. Don't forget, you still really just, not salvifically, you're going to heaven and hell, that's been secured already in Christ. But the Bible says that we all have to sit in front of Christ and give, a, and give an account for the good or bad done while in the flesh. It's called the Bema seat of judgment. And we all have to stand before and he asks us, what did you do with the message that was sweet as honey and good for your soul? Did you share it? So he puts you in one scenario where you have to warn the wicked if you don't, he requires, they die in their sin, but now he's, he's going to hold you accountable for it. Then you have scenario two where it says, but if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his sin or wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. It's not on you to win anybody. You're just dust. They got to trust that as the Spirit of God leads you to speak the gospel of God, that he will save. And if they don't listen, that's their issue, not yours. But you got to plant the seed. You, you got to water. You, you got to share it so that God would not require them on your hands. There are wicked and evil uncles and aunts and cousins in your house. Somebody, you know, that they, always get drunk, always high. Not always high, probably, but always drunk. The question is, have you shared the gospel with them? Or do you just laugh at them and think it's funny that if he died today, his soul goes to hell? I have made up in my mind they'll have to run through me like Dan tried. Couldn't do it though. Or over me to go to hell on my watch. They called me the Bishop of Starbucks. <laughs> I traveled from Starbucks to Starbucks. <laughs> trying to seek and to save who I can. I am the apostle of Starbucks. You find me in Grand Prairie, you'll find me in North. You'll find me even on Trail Lake in Fort Worth. I travel for the lost to share with them this wonderful message. But if you think that coffee is good, try my Jesus. Oh, he's sweeter. He's down I promise you. Just try it. But while, so, so while I'm warning him of this coming judge, hey, there's a Savior that exists now to save you. Will you come? Hey, I do an altar call right there at Starbucks. Hey, let's do it. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Hey, come for now. Stand up and walk this way. Let's get saved. He's going to put lost people in your life. Here's the question. That message that, that's so sweet in your heart called the gospel, will you share it? But then there's also another case. I got, 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 I got,
Again, if, the, if a righteous person turns from his, from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall surely die. He shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Now listen, let's understand this right now. If they saved, they saved. Whether you do or not, only Christ saves. But I do recall a story in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul was warning the church at Corinth about taking the communion in vain. And my Bible says that God made some of them weak, some of them sick, and he put some to sleep. Christians. And Paul was quick to warn them of taking the Lord's communion in an unworthy way. There are sisters and brothers that we know that are saved, yet they've strayed. Have you warned them? Have you shared with them the gospel? Have you informed them that if you don't get this right, the chances will that God, who is long-suffering, who is patient, will want to say, you know what, that's enough, come on with me? He will do it. But while I'm at it, let me tell you this about the gospel. It's not good advice. It's good news. So while you are witnessing and sharing the gospel to a saved person, you're not trying to save them again. You're trying to encourage them with Jesus. See, see, I, here's, what, here's what I did a few years back. I would give folks principles and principles and principles and principles, and they'll leave back more discouraged. I remember one time, my wife and I, we were struggling real bad. Just struggling. I went to a friend of mine, mentor friend of mine, said, hey, man, we're struggling, man. What can we do to get this thing right? He said, Valentine, if y'all have relations seven days straight. I said, what? <laughs> okay, okay, come on, what else? <laughs> and pray a little bit. Then I fixed it. I said, Willie? So. I, really? I said, baby, you hear him? Baby, did you hear the preacher? The preacher said seven days straight. <laughs> he gave me principles, but, but, but no Jesus. He didn't inform me what Christ has done on my behalf to fix our marriage. If you know a marriage that's struggling, if you know a couple that's struggling, if you know a friend that's struggling, it, it, if you know somebody that's struggling, you want me to tell you who can fix it? Jesus. He's fixing my marriage. He's fixing my finances. He's fixing my stage. He's fixing me. And nothing else but Jesus. Don't give me rose. Don't give me Lord. Give me Jesus. I promise you, he'll fix it. He's already fixed it. <laughs> we just don't believe that he has. But it's a done deal. Do you believe it? What are you going through? What are you struggling with? I promise you, he'll fix it. Just trust him.
for you, being sent. I promise you he's able to fix you. How do I know? Ask me. Ask me. He's a carpenter. By trade. He can fix stuff. I promise you he can. I promise you he can. He's a carpenter by trade. He, he knows how to fix stuff. That's right. That's right. Pornography, he'll fix it. Alcohol, he'll fix it. Fornication, he'll fix it. Just trust him. Because when you do, here's the last scenario. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he Look, he took warning, and you have delivered your soul. The most wonderful thing has been when I shared the gospel to a straying saint, and they turned back to Jesus. And all I did was share Jesus. That's a wonderful way of being used. When it's nothing on you, and it's all on him, so you have no room to boast. Your degree didn't do it. Your money didn't do it. Your finest, well, you think you find that didn't do it. What fixed it was Jesus. So you have no room to boast. My time is short, so I'm going to skip some. I give you the grand news. When you look down in Ezekiel chapter 3 and you read from verses 22 through 27, you, you see in verse 24, but the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and he spoke with me and said to me, go shut yourself within your house. Ezekiel, lock yourself up. Crazy. Verse 26, and I will make, no, verse 25, and you, son of man, behold, cords will be placed up, upon you, and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and, 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 uh, and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth. God of his own will, he, 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 he constrained them to his home and with his words. Because God wanted to send them out and use his mouth as he willed and not as Ezekiel willed. Today, what constrains us? Acts 20, verse 22 says, it is the Spirit of God that constrains us. Ephesians 5, 18 says that, 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 that we are not to be controlled anymore with, with, with wine and beer, but be controlled, filled with the Spirit. Actually, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, it says, but the love of God constrains you. The love of God, the love of Christ, he makes you, he impels you, he compels you to share the, the gospel. Yeah. 
Your love for Jesus will make you share the gospel. And if you're not sure, I wonder how much do you love him? The love of Christ constrains you to share the gospel with the saved and unsaved. We all need the gospel. You can't outgrow it. You're going to need all your life. You can't outgrow the gospel. Either it wins or it grows you. But we all need the gospel, don't we? When was the last time that your love for Jesus constrained you to share the sweet and wonderful message. I'm going to leave you with a verse from my main man, John. I call him, I call him J.D., John the Disciple. In Revelation 19, verse 11, he says this, and just listen. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are like many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread on winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The judge is coming. Will you join me in warning some? and encouraging others with the gospel of Jesus. Father, we thank, thank you for you listening know. to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.